0: There's only one way to follow that, (laughs) and that is with the Bible. Amen. Amen. Let's open to Philippians chapter number two. What a blessing to be in church here this morning. Amen. Something about the songs that speak something more than just the words say. There's something beyond just the words, and... That's where we're going here this morning. Philippians chapter two, uh, preacher. Uh, we just wrapped up the book of Colossians. I just just wrapped up teaching through the book of Colossians. Some of the men are preached through the book of Philippians. Uh, this is an amazing book. It's one of my favorites. I say that about a lot of them I know, but this is one of my favorite books. It's incredible. And then right here, in the middle of the book of Philippians, is where I want to start because it is the central point of the whole book right here. And Paul kind of builds the rest of the book around this passage right here in Philippians chapter 2. So I'd like to start here, and then when we're teaching through on Wednesdays and things, maybe we'll go through this. Uh, But let's let's go ahead and read Philippians chapter 2. And let's start at verse number 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, and then a song here, a psalm, A spiritual song, a poem, if you would. Verse number six. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Amen. All right, y'all ready to go home? (laughs) Uh, Brother Manning, would you pray for us, please, sir?
1: Amen. And to You be all the glory in Your Word this morning. We thank You for being here. Thank You for this meeting. Lord, thank You for the safety, even upon arrival this morning, to be here for each one of us. Lord, we pray this morning uh, uh, for every every soul in this place, every soul that's listening and hearing. Oh, God, that You might help encourage and strengthen us. I pray for a soul that may be lost or the one closest to hell this morning. We pray for them, Lord, that they come to know You today. In this meeting, God, we pray for our brother as he preaches to us. We thank you for him. Thank you for his stand on the Word of God. And I thank you for using him like you have in a mighty way. And in saying that, Lord, I pray your might on him this morning. I pray any unsettling or anything that he needs, I pray, God, you'd grant it That you'd fill him up to the most. And I pray you'd use him in a mighty, mighty way this morning. I pray you'd preach, Brother Sam. Be with our preacher where he is. And God, help our hearts. We have to ask to help our hearts. Uh, God, I pray, God, that you do what needs to be done inside of us individually, that we might be able to take the Word in and adhere to it, and use it in our lives to your
0: glory. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. 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 All right, now, in the book of Philippians here, Schofield, if you have a Schofield Bible, you'll notice in the beginning, he says that the book is about the Christian experience. He says that the Christian experience is not something that goes on around the believer, but something that goes on within the believer. That is, uh, Paul is uh, writing from prison and he's got all kinds of things going on and he's going to tell these people, don't look at what's on the outside. Look at what's going on on the inside. Don't look at what's going on in the world. Look at what God is doing in the spiritual world. That is, look beyond the material things that you see to something that is beyond material. Something that's not quite tangible. It's kind of difficult to be able to grasp onto. Are you following me this morning? He says the Christian life is just simply the actions that we take are the outworking of the life that Jesus Christ has inside of us. It's an outworking of something that's going on inside us. He wants us to get our vision on things that are not seen, not the things that are seen. Now, we talk a lot about Christmas time, and, and some of the older folks, you'll, younger people, you'll hear the older folks bemoaning the fact that, Christ, that Christmas has kind of become a little bit of a materialistic holiday. And unfortunately, it has. Because a lot of people, especially young folks, will get their eyes on the material things that they're going to be able to get, get a hold of. And we know that there's something even greater. Now this passage is kind of a Christmas passage, you wouldn't really think it, but because we've got some Christmas decorations and because we've got Christmas time coming up, I'm going to point out some things that will make it as part of this Christmas story here. But Schofield talks about the, this Christian life being something inside of us and not something outside of us. Now look at uh, where, where Paul points us out. Look at chapter number one. Let's look at a few verses here. Verse number six. It says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's pointing us to something that is beyond this life. He's pointing us to something eternal. I love our preacher. One of the reasons I love our preacher is because he says the most important thing you can do, the thing that will adjust your life to be right, and I'm going to preach to some young people here this morning. So if you're younger than me, I consider you young. <laughs> okay, Old folks, uh, you're, you've, you already know this stuff, but you can just say amen for the young people. How about that? Um, but so, so what preacher says is if you want to orient your life, if you want to change your life and get you some direction in your life, what you want to do is you want to look at the things that are not seen, not the things that are seen. He says you want to look at the judgment seat of Christ and make your decisions based on that day, on the day of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul says here in verse number six. Look at verse number 10. He says, That ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Do you see it? Look over at verse 21. Verse 21 For to me to live is Christ, and look at that, to die is gain. If you are a rich person who has billions of dollars and you have no Jesus Christ or don't know Jesus Christ, you you don't have Jesus Christ, you know what you're trying to do? You're trying to find ways to extend your life. You're trying to find ways to live a little bit longer. You're trying to find medicines that will make you live longer. Why is that? Because to die is loss. If all you have here on this earth There's a guy named Charlie Munger. He was Warren Buffett's uh, partner. Y'all know Warren Buffett, right? The great billionaire investor. He just died at 99 years old. I hope that he's saved. I have no idea. I never heard him talk about Jesus Christ. I hope that he's saved. You know why? Because he has billions of dollars. He did not take any of it with him. He didn't take any of it with him. Y'all remember the old joke about the guy who comes to heaven and he gets to to the gates of heaven and St. Peter's there at the gates because in all the jokes, St. Peter is standing there at the gates. Right, he's letting people in at the gates of heaven, and he's a rich man, and he carries he's carrying a briefcase up there with him. And uh, Peter says, "Hold on, hold on! What do you, you can't bring that in here? What did you bring with you?" And he says, "Well, I've got to bring this. This is everything that I got in life. I I I sold it all before I died. I melted it down into gold bars." He opens it up, and there's gold bars in this briefcase. And Peter looks at him and he says, "You brought pavement to heaven. You brought pavement." You cannot bring it with you, young people. You can gain it and gain it and gain it, but it's going to be gone. And this life is just a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. And the Bible says that, what, what's your life? It's a vapor. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world? and lose his own soul. I want to see young people today get their eyes off of the material things of this world. Get their eyes on the unseen things. Like Moses, just says he didn't esteem the treasures of Egypt. It said he, he looked as, as though seeing that which was invisible. He saw something that no one else saw. And that's what Paul says over and over again. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Look at verse number 23. He says, departing is far better you see that there in verse chapter 1? Look at chapter 2, verse 9. It says, Wherefore God hath highly exalted him. Now if you look at the world, the world doesn't think Jesus is highly exalted. But you see something that the world doesn't see. You see the crown that was placed on his head. And the world sees a crown of thorns and you see the crown of God placed on his head. Highly exalted him. Giving him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. That's what he says I want you to point out. Look at verse number 16, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice when in the day of Christ. That's the rapture. when you finally see Jesus Christ. We want you to be able to rejoice in that day, not just down here on earth when you get a big paycheck, not down here on earth when you find a big family or you have a big, big time. It's when you see Jesus Christ. That's when your rejoicing should be. Look at chapter number three. He says in verse 13, he says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before. Paul, you're in prison. What's before you? Death. What's before you? Martyrdom. What's before you? No, look at what he says. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Do you see it there? Do you see it? Look at verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Look at chapter 4. He says, Therefore, my bro- beloved brethren, uh, dearly long for, he says, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord. Look at verse number 5. Let your moderation be known unto, unto all men. Why moderation? Why If we just die, then it's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. It's get as much as you possibly can. Enjoy this life as much as you possibly can. Focus on yourself. Focus on getting for yourself. Look at verse 5. He says, be moderate. Why? The Lord is at hand. There's something beyond this life that you should be focused on. There's something beyond this world that you should be focused on. He says it over and over until he ends it in verse number 20. Now unto God and our Father be glory Forever and ever. Amen. All through the book, he's pointing to Jesus Christ. He's pointing to something that's unseen. Now look back at chapter number two, and you see something right in the middle of the passage, and it's a, it's a poem. It's a poem. Now, men, don't let me lose you here when we're talking about poetry. I'm going to talk a little bit about a poem this morning. Think of it like a song, okay, if you don't like poetry. I know a lot of you don't like poetry, and who really listens or reads poetry? But we all like music, right? I mean that was poetry that you just heard. Yeah. What the girls saying there, what Brother Haikove's saying there, it's poetry. Poetry is is something that God uses because there's something you, I mean, you read the words, if you read the words that Brother Haikove just sang there, it wouldn't move you the same way as when he sings it. Why is that? Have you ever thought about that? Why is it that when you just read the words there, it's not quite the same as when you get it all together? The message. If I said, O oh, glorious love divine, that made him stoop to save a soul like mine, that's a blessing. That's a good message. But there's something about it all coming together in verse. There's something about it that is, it's just beyond the, the words itself. There's meaning beyond the material. You see it? There's meaning That we get out of a song, out of a hymn, out of a psalm, out of a poem that is beyond the material. That's what we see now. Now, I wasn't big in poetry when I was... Look over at Exodus chapter 14. I was not big in English class. I mean, the English class in high school for me, I remember it came right after lunch and my English teacher bribed me into listening in class by giving me a cup of coffee right after lunch so I wouldn't fall asleep in class. I tried as much as I could to keep my eyes open, but I just couldn't figure out what was going on there. It just didn't make sense to me. It all seemed like a bunch of gibberish. But the Bible uses some things beyond, uh, beyond the narrative stories in here to give us something that is more than the words. Have you ever noticed you're reading the Bible and there's more than what's written on the page there? God speaks to you beyond what's written on the page there? Why is that? Because it's a sense. When you get into this book, there's a sense that there's something beyond this material world. There's meaning beyond the material on the page. There's just like, and what God is trying to show us is that there's meaning beyond this material in the world. All the material things that the world tries to get you to look at, there's a lot of meaning going on beyond this material world. And God shows it to us. Look at Exodus chapter number 14. In Exodus 14, towards the end of the chapter, verse 26 and 27. Now, we just have gone over this in teen Sunday school class, so I'm excited to be able to kind of talk to you about it a little bit here, but we've talked, we're going over the kind of a survey of the Bible, a whole Old Testament survey, New Testament survey, and we're talking about what the Bible is and kind of how to read the Bible, and part of it is making sure that you have the genre right, making sure you understand what it is that you're reading, because you can get the context of something, that's the surrounding passage, but you also have to get what it is that you're reading there. And so there's narrative, there's stories in the Bible, there's genealogies in the Bible, there's apocryphal language in the Bible, there's prophetic language in the Bible, but there's also poetry in the Bible. There's poetry. And you have to know when you're reading something that's poetry. Now I know what happens is among Bible believers we say, oh Sam, don't emphasize the poetry because I know what the liberals do. What the liberals do is they say the poetry is not real. They take doctrine, the doctrine that's in the poetry, and they say that's not really doctrine because it's just a parable. It's just a poem. It's just a metaphor, they'll say. This is just a metaphor. This is not really real. But what the Bible says is that what <laughs> the poetry is more real than the physical. You see, it says you, we look not on things that are seen, but on things that are unseen. That is, the song sometimes, the feeling and the sense that you get when you hear a poem sung to you or read to you, that sense can give you a sense of what is really happening more than what you see right here. That's why I've been preaching for as long as they were singing, and none of y'all have come to the altar yet, because they could get up there just like this and you get a sense of something real going on. The Holy Spirit talks to you. Maybe you're not saved in here this morning. You're wondering, and you've uh, been raised in this secular society that says that there's nothing more than the material flesh. And you think all of us are crazy because we think that Jesus Christ is real and because we think that God is real. I'm telling you, you know deep inside of you that there is something more than this material world. You know that. I can't prove it to you. I can't prove it to you. I can show you prophecy in the Bible and you can give me excuses. I can show you uh, miracles in nature and you can give me excuses. I can show you miracles in my life and you can give me excuses. But don't you know deep, down deep in you that, that there is something beyond this world? The Bible says that, uh, that the invisible things of God are clearly seen, seen by the things which are made. That doesn't just mean you look at the things that are made and see God, but because you are something that is made, you clearly see the invisible things of God. And you have to suppress those things. You have to push those things down. You have to say, I don't see it, I don't see it, I don't see it. Oh man, you're going to have... Young people, if you're, if you're just looking at this material world, you're going to have a miserable life. This world's not going to be able to satisfy you. So look at uh, verse number 26, Exodus fourteen twenty-six. He says, The Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thy hand over the sea, that the waters may come again. Look at verse 27. Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea. The sea returned to his strength when the, when the morning appeared. The Egyptians fled, the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea, and the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, all the hosts, of Pharaoh that came to the sea after them, there remained not so much as one of them. It's a great story. It's a great story. It's the foundational story of Israel. They read it every single year. They talk about it every single year. The Passover, the escape from Egypt, the exodus from Egypt, right? This is an incredible story. Look at what happens in chapter number 15, verse number 1. Then sang Moses... Then sang Moses. And what did he say? He says in verse number three, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. We're about to get into a poem here, guys. This is a song. He says, Pharaoh's chariots and his host hath he cast into the sea. His chosen captains are also drowned in the Red Sea. There's something to that song that's just a little bit more than the narrative, isn't there? There's something that you feel in that song that you don't feel just from the narrative. Now, I'm not saying that the narrative is, I'm, every single word is God's word. I'm saying that God has what he shows us, and he has what's right underneath the surface as well. That if you'll meditate on it, if you'll look at it, if you'll study it, God will show you the spiritual behind the material. He'll show you the meaning behind it. Look at verse number five. The depths have, have covered them. They sank into the bottom as a stone. That's a poem. That's metaphor. He says they sank as a stone. Guys, have you ever been fishing and thrown a fishing uh, line out in the water and see, had a lead on the end of it? Have you ever noticed? Now, I'm always, I'm always amazed when you reel in something that's got lead on it, a, a lure that's got lead on it. I'm amazed at how fast it drops. Is that just me? You, you're fishing, you've you're got like a jerk bait, it's got a, a lead on the end of it, and you kind of jerk it up here a little bit, and the whole idea, if you don't, those of you who don't fish, is that it falls, and then you give it a twitch, and it goes up to the top, and then you reel it, and it falls, and you give it a twitch, and it goes up the top, and it does this motion, this up and down motion, right? And I'm, I'm always amazed at how fast it's dropping. It's dropping faster than I think it's dropping. Sure. And that's what, what one of the things he uses in this passage. He says, you don't understand how fast Pharaoh and his, his, uh, his army dropped into the sea. Like a, like a stone. You ever taken a stone and thrown it into the sea? It's gone. Right. They didn't swim around. <laughs> they didn't splash around. When God was ready to destroy Pharaoh, there wasn't a contest. It wasn't like Moses and Israel's looking and going, they're swimming, they're swimming, they're swimming. Oh, oh look, they, one of them brought a life raft with them. No, oh, no, 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 no. They were gone like that. There was, what God is saying, there was no contest. There was no contest when it came to Pharaoh versus God. Now, you, still, you only see that when you, you won't see that in the narrative. You don't see that in the, in the material. You see it in the poem. Look back over at, uh, at uh, Philippians chapter 2. That's what you've got to see. It's not that the narrative doesn't mean something. It's a metaphor, therefore it's not true. No, 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 no. It's showing you something that is more true than you can experience otherwise. Amen. Look at Philippians chapter 2. I want to show some things that are more true than you can see if you just look at the material, look at the meaning beyond the material. I want you to see the meaning beyond it. They said they sang that song, the half is, hasn't been told. The half hasn't been told. Amen. The half. If you just read what's going on here. Now the passage is talking about the life of the Christian and how, look at verse number four. Look not, on, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. He's talking about being a servant. He's talking about making your life a life of service. Right? You all, you all see that? And then he goes in and talks about how Jesus Christ's life was a life of service. And he talks about, Look at, let's read it one more time here. Being the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Brother Word, could you give us a little air, please? Made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant. Was made in the likeness of men. Do you see what's happening? He's coming down here and he's humbling himself. And you could preach a message on the humility of Jesus Christ and how he humbled himself in verse number eight. How we can preach on the obedience of Jesus Christ in verse number eight. You can preach on the death of the cross and the, the humility of that type of death in verse number eight. You could preach on, on, the, on, on verse nine, the exaltation of Christ. You see, if you've got a Schofield Bible, verse number, or there's a section two there above five says the sevenfold a self-humbling of Christ, and uh, verse 9 says the exaltation of Christ. So you could preach on the exaltation of Christ, the humility of Christ, all these things, but there is something in this poem here that is beyond what is written right there. There's something beyond what's written. I want you to first notice, because young people um, especially, I want you to think about how this applies to you. Um, There's a lot of young people are at kind of a place in their life where they're not sure where they're going next, at a place where they could turn out either way. I mean, once you, I say old folks, this message isn't really for you because by, by the time you get to be our age, you're kind of a little concreted, preacher says, right? We're a little more settled. That's not to say God can't get a hold of you and, and tear you up by the roots, but you have roots down. It's more difficult. And young people, you see, it's, they're pivotal. They're at a place where they could go either way. They can make a good decision. They can make a bad decision. My daughter's in college right now. Every single weekend, she comes home and she's like crying. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Right now, all you're going to do is going to go back and you're going to do your tests. That's what you're doing with your life, right? But for her, it's like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? She sees her whole life ahead of her. Older folks, you all see the whole, the whole lives of our children ahead of them. And you're praying, God, help them to make good decisions at this pivotal moment in their life. The person that you marry is so pivotal. It changes the course of your whole life. The job that you take, the career that you choose, that it's, it, it's, it, it's pivotal. It changes the course of your life. Where you move to, if you decide you want to move out of town for a different job, it's pivotal in the course of your life. We look at these big decisions and we say, God helped them to be able to make good decisions. So I want you to see, notice, did you notice when we were reading it, the direction of the passage? The direction. I'm going to read this one more time because I want you to kind of feel what this is. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Do you see, there is a purposeful direction in this passage. And Christians here today, I want you to say, I want you to hear, are you, are you lacking direction in your life? Do you need direction? The direction you ought to take is right here. It's downward. The direction is downward. Follow Jesus Christ's direction downward. That is exactly the opposite of what the world says. The world says be ambitious. The world says get to the top. The world says climb a ladder. You know what the ladder is? It's people. And you'll find, I'm going to climb on top of this person, and on top of this person, and on top of this person. I'm going to stand on their shoulders. I'm going to step on their toes. I'm going to step on their fingers so that I can make it to the top. That's what the world says to do. But the Bible doesn't say that Jesus Christ did that. It says that he came down. And then he came down a little further. Then he came down a little further. You see the direction of Jesus Christ. And I want my daughter and I want my son and I want the young people in this church to have that same direction in their life. I want your direction to be down, not up. Not glorifying yourself. Not magnifying yourself. Not baking a name for yourself. But making a name for Jesus Christ. And that means serving others. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, you, don't have, you don't do anything in a job. It doesn't mean you're doing, any, doing anything in a career. It doesn't mean you flip burgers for the rest of your life. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, as you are getting into a job, as you're getting into a career, as you're getting into a family, what is it for? Is it, are you getting higher and higher on the ladder so that more and more people can serve you and your needs? Or are you getting higher and higher on the ladder so that you can serve more people and be able to have a broader service? You see, that's what Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ served more and more and more until he died for the sins of the whole world. Every single person. He served all of them when he went to the cross. Not just Israel. Not just his people. Not just his family. You and I, Gentile dogs. Every single one of us. And young folks, you know, you could be, and I'm not saying that you should be in the ministry full time. I'm not saying that you should be a missionary or a preacher. Maybe you should. There's probably some people who should in here today. Some young people who should. But, you know, you can serve God anywhere that you are. You can be a doctor and serve yourself. All of y'all know them. The doctors that have a God complex. They think everybody's there for them. They think uh, they're the best person in the room. And everybody's there. they miss all their appointments. They make you wait four hours in the waiting room, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because it's all about them, yeah. because, and how smart they are, and how big a practice they are, and how far they went in school, and how many letters they have after their name, how, how much they're able to help people, all those things, right? Yeah. All the people that are able to serve them. And then you've also met doctors that are there to serve others. Isn't it a blessing when you hear about somebody like a Doctors Without Borders kind of situation where someone goes to school and spends all that money and then spends a bunch of extra time traveling all over the world and helping people, actually doing something to help folks? Hey guys, when you go to work, are you there to serve yourself? Are you there to find how many people can get underneath you and serve you, or are you there to serve others? It's a blessing to me that if you look at the the badge in the police car, it says to protect and serve. To protect and serve. That's, a, that's an amazing thing. Because if, if, if we're not careful, we would think that, that it's a authority, we are greater than you, put you under us. That's not, that's not what, it, what it's about. And I know who I'm talking to today, and it's a blessing to be able to have that type of attitude in our local police, in our police department, where it's like getting higher and higher and higher to be able to serve more and more people. That's a That's a testimony. That's a testimony. That's a blessing. So, but you can see it can go either way. Are you a doctor? Are you a lawyer? Are you a, any, what, are, what are you? Are you, a, are you a mom at home? Are you a wife? Are you there? Are you having kids to be able to fulfill your own needs? Because your own wants? Your own, have people who can serve you? Now, I, mean, I mean, I know that once the kids become teenagers, they are there to serve you, right? <laughs> that's, I mean, that's part of it. I remember... Um, I think it was, it was either Judah, I think it was Judah, he said something like, uh, someone said like, what are kids for? And He said, they're, they're there to get sodas for their dad from the fridge, <laughs> you know, yeah, that's kind of how it goes, right? Uh, but that's, that's not what, our, our kids are not here to serve us, the, you have a big family, you have more to serve, yeah. you have more people that you can do something for, more people that you can help, husbands, your wife is not there to serve you. You know, the Bible says, and uh, I think it's in Colossians, no, it's in Ephesians, it says, but by love serving one another. Yeah. Husbands and wives, by love serve one another. They say, well, there's an authority hierarchy. Of course, there's an authority hierarchy there. And the higher you get, the more of a servant that you are. That's the direction. Luke cha- you don't have to turn there, but Luke chapter 22. Yo, Turn over there. Turn over there. Look, look at Luke chapter 22. Jesus Christ, while he was on this earth, he just astounded his disciples when he said this. It's confusing because everywhere they went around Rome and Greece and uh, all those different places, the Romans there, they, they had the, the gods were the people that everyone served. You take your sacrifices to the gods and you offer to them or they're angry with you. That was the only thing that they knew about gods. And they had all of the emperors. And it was like, I'm an emperor. That means I'm a god. And bring your taxes to the emperor. And they would come and they would take over an area. And they would say, we're going to bring your tax. Serve the ruler. That's what they were there for. Look at chapter uh, 22, Luke 22, verse 25. It says, he said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. He's, can you picture the Romans, uh, the, the Roman people? Uh, Statues everywhere, and the people standing up in the Colosseums and things. It says they exercise authority on them. It says they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. <laughs> and he says it's kind of a joke. Those that are above them, they call themselves benefactors. Uh, the Roman emperor gets up, and Caesar Augustus or whatever, and he says, I'm your benefactor. I'm here to help the people. And he was there to be served. Look at verse number 26. It says, But Ye shall not be so. He that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. He that is chief as he that doth serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at me, or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at me, but I am among you as he that serveth. Young people, what's the direction of your life? Can I say, if you've got Jesus Christ in you, you're supposed to be working his life and his nature out. And his life and his nature was that of a servant. Look over at Philippians chapter number 2. So notice the direction. It's downward. What's the direction of your life? Are you a bit lost this morning looking for direction? Here's Jesus Christ's direction that you can follow. A life of service to others. Look at at verse number 6. This next piece here is is strange. It's, It's hard to get at. Uh, it says, "Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, thought it not robbery." Now, whenever you get to a place where have you ever been reading and it's kind of it gets confusing, like what does that mean? Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. You, know, you stumble over it. You kind of trip over it because you're like, "I, I don't quite get that." If you stumble over something, stop. Uh, if you stumble. Hit your knees. It's a good place to stop and ask God what's going on here. Because a lot of times he'll put something a little confusing in there so that you'll be surprised when you find the answer to it. You ever been reading the Bible and you didn't know what it was and when you found it you were surprised and it lit up your whole day and you called your friends and you'll say you never know what I found in the Bible this morning (laughs) and you call your preacher and you say preacher you never know what I was reading the Bible and I saw this and he's like that's a blessing sister that's a blessing brother. I mean, it's a a blessing to you when you find a little bit of a surprise there, right? And so there's a surprise in this passage because it says, let's dig it out here a little bit. It says, uh, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now, the surprise is that there are a couple meanings here. The first one is the very clear surface level meaning. And that Jesus Christ did not think it was taking something from God to call himself equal with God. That's John chapter 5, verse 18. It says uh, that the Pharisees were upset with him. They said he, you know, being a man, maketh himself equal to God, he says in John 5, 18. Jesus Christ had no pro- problem saying that he was equal to God. But, look, if you have a Schofield Bible, look in the notes here. It says, uh, you'll see in the, in the margin, it says W. See, note, num- note W, a thing to be grasped after. And if you have a new Bible, It will change that to say, who being in the form of God, thought it not a thing to be grasped after, to be equal with God. And then the reference in the Schofield note is Genesis 3, 5, and 6. That's a bad reference in in the Schofield system. Dr. Ruppman gets it right. He gives you the right reference. Of course, he does get it. He gives you the right reference to John 5 and John 10. But you see what he's saying here. What Schofield is saying is that this is comparing Jesus Christ to Adam. Where Adam and Eve wanted God, wanted to be like God. They thought being like God was a thing to be grasped after. Go take it from the tree. Be like God. And he's and they, they're saying that this, because the word behind this is it's in a weird like case. It's in a, like a weird position where it's it's tough to understand exactly what he's saying here. It's very clear from the King James Bible what it says the, on the surface. And then if you stop and look at it. It says, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And what is actually the surprise in the passage is that the the twist is that Jesus Christ knew he was God. He was equal with God, but he didn't think that being equal with God meant that he was taking something from others that was not theirs to take. That is, he did not think that being God meant that everything was for him. He didn't walk around from person to person and say, worship me, worship me, worship me, worship me. I'm God, therefore I want your time. I'm God, therefore I want your treasure. I'm God, therefore I want your stuff. He did not see being equal with God as as being a robber. That is... (laughs) Jesus Christ showed us who God was, and God is not a person, God is not a being who is there to take for himself. He is there to give to others. It's in his nature not to receive, but to give. Paul said in another place that the Lord, remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, how it's more blessed to give than to receive. See, what, a lot of times, and now hear me, hear me really well here, guys. What, what I'm saying, a lot of times we think that at Christmas, Jesus Christ became something that he wasn't. That he was God, he deserves all of everything, and everything is thrown to him, and he does. But he laid that aside so that he could give. Amen. Amen. You, see, you see how we get that? And listen. Jesus Christ did not lay anything of God aside when He gave. Jesus Christ was fully God when He gave. When He said, I give to you my life, He was acting fully in the nature of God. When He came down to us, He was not laying aside who He was, He laid aside His garments. He laid aside the form, the picture, what you see on the outside, and He revealed it on the Mount of Transfiguration. But He did not lay aside His nature. Amen. Folks, the nature of God is to give, not to receive. That is the surprise of the passage, that we are not serving a God who is like all the gods of the world who demands that we give or else He kills us, we give or He kills us, that is not your God. Amen. Your God says, I will give and give and give till my lifeblood is gone. Amen. That's the God that you serve. That's the surprise of the passage. Now you don't see, I say, that's why sometimes in a poem you got to slow down. And see, because there's like double meaning going on there. So you have a little surprise, and I'll tell you, young people, if you want some surprise and some uniqueness and some interest in your life, don't look at the world. Look at Jesus Christ. That is where you'll find the flavor. That's where you'll find the uniqueness. That's where you'll find the joy, the delight. That's where you'll find, you'll find it in Jesus Christ. I, I cannot tell you how much surprise that God has put in my life as a result of being uh, in fellowship with him. So many different things that I've been shocked by. It's just, just you know, the, you go out in the world and there's no surprise in the world. You watch a movie and you know exactly what's going to happen in the movie. That's why they say there's Marvel fatigue because you've all seen the Marvel movies and they, they all, they're all the same every single time. There's this, little, there's this kid and he's, he's, a, you know, he's, he's a regular old kid. He's just like you and me and then he gets bit by a spider or bit by a goose or bit by a beetle and he becomes something great and then he has like a dark night of the soul where he's, he's, he's struggling to find himself and then he comes out at the end and you go, you leave and you're like, seen it. $100 million budget, seen it. And listen, there's, there's coming a time for the young folks in here, you're kind of enamored by the world when you're under 40. But by the time you get to be over 40, you're like, seen it? <laughs> there's a comedian who said one time, he's getting up in his 50s or 60s, he said, I'm at the point now where when someone tells me to turn around to look at something, I won't even turn around. <laughs> you know? They're like, look behind you, you need to see this. He's like, no, I don't. <laughs> Whatever it is, I've seen it before. And that's why older folks don't like to watch TV very much, except maybe the news. Because they're like, seen it, seen it, seen it, seen it, seen it. You young people are seeing that, right? Netflix, a million shows, seen it, seen it, seen it. Nothing on TV. It never will be anything on TV.
1: You've
0: seen it all before. If you want some surprise, live a Christian life. You'll see some surprise. I remember going to the nursing home back in the day when we were able to go over there, thinking I'm going to walk in the room and serve some people. And leaving... Just bless like my, my socks off. Yeah. Go in there and thinking, I don't know if I want to be here today. I don't know if I want to do this today. I don't know if I have enough energy to do this today. I don't know if I have enough spirituality to do this today. I need to be more spiritual to go in here, and I leave more spiritual than I was when I walked in. I've been surprised. I remember going to, we had made a mission trip to South Africa, and we were walking through <clears throat> the squatter camps in South Africa, and there was a, a lady uh, who walked out, and really, an uh, older lady, much older lady, and she walked out and I said, do you have a Bible? And I'm telling you folks, she walked out of a house that was made out of tin roofing. Like just stacked up pieces of tin. I say a squatter scam. I mean there's complete dirt floor, tin roof, no windows. I mean they cut a hole in it to get some, some light. There's no electricity, no running water pump in the middle of the town they all bring a bucket to and get their water. Just nothing. I said, ma'am, do you have a Bible? I brought some extra Bibles to give away. And she said, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Hold on. She ran in her dirt house, came back out with a Bible. And it was marked up all over the place. Pages torn. (laughs) Like she'd had it for years and years and years. And she's looking at me, and her eyes are bright. And she says, let me show you my favorite verse. And she opens the Psalms and there's a piece of like black electrical tape that she used to underline and it like covered up three or four other verses underneath it (laughs) but she used it to underline her favorite verse in the Bible man I I I was surprised has God ever surprised you? has he surprised you with blessings that you never thought that were going to be there? He surprised you in places, Miss Barbara. does he surprise you in places where you thought that it was only going to be pain and hardship, but he gave you joy and peace Amen. in the middle of it? That's, that's a surprise. I'm not talking about surprise, you got the promotion. I'm talking about you didn't get it and God gives you peace and joy in the midst of it. That's the type of surprise I'm talking about, and that's what Jesus Christ gives you in your life. Young people, don't go out in there in the world. It ain't there. Look at uh, verse number, y'all with me still? Look at verse number 7. Made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. Do you see the the active here? He made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant. And then it says, was made in the likeness of men. And verse number 8, being found in fashion as a man. There's a change in perspective that happens right there. Do you see it? There's a change from he is doing something, and this is from his perspective to how we found him. That's a change in perspective. Uh, This is, I don't have time to go into all of it, but in the story of uh, Christmas, uh, Luke chapter number two, it says that the, that, the angels appeared in heaven over the shepherds and they say you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. And it says in verse in 2.16 it says that they went and they found uh, the babe. They found Jesus. Verse number 8 here it says being found in fashion as a man. This is a change in perspective. And some of you here especially young folks that are here maybe you're looking at things uh, from your own point of view you need to change your perspective you need to look at this world like god sees it you need to think about what this world looks like from god's perspective it looks very different from god's perspective you're going to be surprised at what you find when you look at it from god's but when you're looking with jesus christ's eyes the wise men remember they went to the wrong place first they went to see they went to find jesus christ you know where they looked they looked in herod's palace Because he's a king. Of course, that's where you'll find him. They were wrong. They were wrong about our Savior Jesus Christ. They were wrong about where our Savior was going to show up when he was born 2,000 years ago. He wasn't born in a palace. They found him, they found him in a manger. They changed their perspective. The Bible says they left a different way. Look at uh, verse number 8 it says, He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And then, do you see the contrast? Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name. Do you see him coming up? That is above every name. That the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Of things in heaven that's higher. Things in earth higher. Things under the earth higher. That every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord higher to the glory of God the Father. Do you see the contrast between those two portions of the poem? You see it? Um, I'm trying to to show you the meaning behind the material. And if you'll live a life towards Jesus Christ, a life that is trying to serve Jesus Christ, you'll find a life of contrast. There's a contrast from the first half to the second half. It's contrast is like, well, it's like the setting on your TV, right? (laughs) It's like the setting on your TV where it says it's the difference between how black it is and how bright it is. The difference between how dark it is and how bright it is. I first really saw Jesus Christ at the lowest place in my life. That's when I first met him myself. When did you meet him? Did you meet him at the highest place of your life? Or maybe the lowest place in your life? You know what Brother Roger just saying? He's just saying, in my darkness, Jesus found me. In my darkness. What kind of dark place were you in when Jesus Christ found you? I remember where I was. I was. It was Christmas 1997. And I was in a place where I finally couldn't. I was running from God and running from God. I was in a place where I finally couldn't run anymore. My dad came and gave me a Bible. And I opened the Bible and I found contrast. In my darkness, Jesus found me. Amen. You know, and if you, a young person, will get close to Jesus Christ, you'll have something you'll see something that's in contrast to this world. You'll see something different than the world sees. And the world will be able to see that about you. You know, Paul and Silas are in prison. And uh, they're in darkness in prison. And they're singing. And then all of a sudden, the the chains fall off of them. And the cell opens up. And the prison guard, Philippian, by the way, prison guard, is probably in this church that he's writing to, hopefully, if he stayed in in church after he got saved, who knows, um, right? And the Philippian prison guard looks at Paul and Silas, and you know what he says to them? He says, what, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Why did that happen? That happened because he saw, for the first time, the, something beyond the material world. Yeah. He said, I didn't open these chains. I didn't open this prison. Something happened that opened this prison and let these people out of here. He said, what is it? And when he noticed that there was something going on in this unseen place, who did he talk to? He talked to the people that were singing in jail. Because he said, I bet you those guys know something that I don't know. (laughs) I bet you those those guys know someone that I don't know. I bet you they see something that I don't see. So there's a there's a contrast. Do you see it in your life? Amen. Amen. Do you have just another minute here? Yes, Look at uh, the placement of it. Look at the placement of it. In the, there's the first half of the book. There's the second half of the book. And this poem happens right in the middle. He places this right in the middle of the book. And this is important. Right where he places it. It's very important where he places it. Why is that? He places it in the center of the book. You notice that he places psalms in the center of your Bible. He doesn't place psalms off to the side. We think of poetry as something like, you know, someone preaches and they're like three points at a poem, you know? There's like the meat of the message, and then there's the poem that we kind of tack on the end. There's like a song that we kind of tack on the end. But God says, I'm going to place this right in the middle of this. Why does he do that? He does that because he's saying, I want to show you that this, that this unseen thing, this meaning that is more than just the material, is right in the middle. It's right at the center. It's the pivotal place. It's not something that is on the side. You know, a lot of times uh, we think of, like, the arts in school as something that can be This is the first thing to go. You know, uh, If there's any teachers in here, you know that budget cuts come and it's like art class that goes first. They're not going to cut science class because that's what's real. That's good. Right? They're not going to cut science. That's what They're not going to cut You know the STEM classes because that's tangible. The hard sciences, those are the things that are real. But God says that there's something that's more real than those things. And it's pivotal to your life. And young people, I want you to be able to see this. What is unseen needs to be the pivotal thing in your life. It's not supposed to be something that you tack on on Sundays. This walk with Jesus Christ, this fellowship with Jesus Christ that you have, it's not something that you just do. Oh, we've got to go to church. And Judah, you wake up on Sunday and say, oh, it's church day, and we're going to church today. And young folks, you look, it's, it's not something that you just, t- oh, it's Sunday, we've got to do this, it's on the weekend. It's a, no, it's supposed to be the center of your life. It's supposed to be pivotal. It's supposed to be the first thing that you see when you wake up. It's supposed to be the last thing that you see when you go to sleep. It's supposed to be part of your day all throughout the day. I'm going to move quickly through this here. In uh, verse number five, there are seven steps down. He says the sevenfold humiliation or the self-humbling of Christ. Seven steps down is uh, a, its completion. It shows fulfillment. And the, a life of service is the only life of fulfillment that you can have. Serving yourself, you're not going to have fulfillment. Um, you're not going to get it on your own. Uh, all my life long, I panted for a draft for, from some cool spring. And then the song says, Hallelujah, I've found him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. you ever uh, noticed that at Christmas time, we kind of, there's this big lead up to Christmas, and then all of a sudden Christmas Day comes, and the kids have opened all the presents, and they go out, there's a little bit of a letdown. <laughs> there's a little bit of a letdown. The kids... Have you ever had your kids look at you and say, "Is that all the presents there are? <laughs> Is that all? Like they were hoping for something else, or they were wanting something else?" Yeah. Um, whatever you do, when you're trying to serve yourself, when you're trying to get something from your, from yourself, these material things, they're gonna they're gonna let you down. Yep. You. Um, I, I see lives around me, and, I, and I'll wrap up with this here. I'll, I see lives around me, of uh, of people that have served Jesus Christ their whole life and I see a life of fulfillment. I see a life of someone who's got joy, someone who's got peace and I, I, I know some people, I know some, uh, some older folks that have never served Jesus Christ and they are trying to get every last drop out of this life and they're struggling and I see them struggling with it because they have played all the golf they can play and it's not fun for them anymore And they've got a back injury and they're not able to enjoy golf like they used to. And their kids don't want to come around anymore. And they come to, they come, I do retirement planning for a living. They come, they say, well, how can I just make sure that I spend my last dollar on my last day? And it's not a, it's not a good thing, folks. It's, there's not joy there. And, and it's, it's sad because you see them trying more and more over and over again, even to their last day, trying to find some type of fulfillment in the material world. And young people, I don't, I don't want you to end up there. I don't want you to get there when you're 70 years old to look back and 80 and 90 years old to look back and say, I live for myself. I live to serve myself to be able to get what I could get out of things. And you're not fulfilled as a result of it. And I look at some older folks, I look at Miss Pat, Miss Pat's life. A life where she comes to church and gives her life in service to the Lord. And I see someone who's got joy. And she didn't fly her private helicopter to church today. (laughs) But she came with a smile on her face. Not because she came here to get something for herself. But because she came here to give. You see, it's surprising, isn't it? It's it's unexpected that the more you give and the more you serve, the more fulfilled you are, and it's more blessed. I hear Miss Barbara saying amen over here, and she's spent her life as a missionary, and she didn't spend her life raising millions of dollars for herself, and she doesn't live in a giant house over on the beach or something like that. She's got more joy than a lot of folks that I know that live in a giant house. You know why? She spent her life as a missionary. Spend our life serving others. And that's where the joy comes from. Why is that? And I'm not saying you serve others for your own joy. I'm saying you serve others because that's, what, that's how God made you. That's who God is. That's where it needs to be. It's the only way to, 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 ha- to be who God wants you to be. It's the only way to do it. I, I, wish, that I, could, I wish that I could give you the, the pivotal piece of this young person. I wish I could just convince you that none of these things out in the world are going are gonna to give you any type of fulfillment. The world dangles it in front of you like a carrot, and it try to get you to go after this, and then that doesn't work, and go after this, and that doesn't work. Folks, if, you, young people, if you've tried one thing and noticed that it doesn't work, you can try a million. It's not going to work. You need to do what the rest of this passage here says. Look at what it says. That in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, of things in earth, of things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every single one of them. It's, it's, there's a sweeping scope of that passage. Beyond just what it says, there's a sweepingness to it. There's a, it's, it wraps you up in the passage. If you read it and you don't see yourself in it, you're reading it wrong. Maybe a young person, you say, this thing is for my parents. This is really, it's good for them, but I need to get out there in the world a little bit. I need to try some things out for a little while. No, it's for you too. It's for you too. Have you decided that you're going to dedicate your your life to serving others and to serve Jesus Christ through others? Or are you still thinking, maybe I'm going to serve myself? Where is your heart today? Where do you find yourself in the passage? Have you bowed the knee to the servant, Savior, Jesus Christ, and said, I want want my life to mean something for God, not for myself. I I don't want to see you waste your life on yourself. I want to see you get to the end of it and say... Got a lot of stuff for me. Got a lot of ser- people serving me. And you just a waste, a miserable, miserable waste. Jesus Christ paved the way for you. Have you bowed the knee to him in your life, and your walk? Let's take some time. Close your eyes if you bow your head. Close your eyes if you would, would please, here. And I've preached to young people, especially here this morning. And my prayer is that even some of the older folks will pray for some of the younger folks that are are in here. And make today the day that you say, I've I've been living for myself. Maybe it's been my parents' religion or maybe it's been my parents' walk with Jesus Christ. But I really want to make this my own walk with Christ. I want to make this something that's for me, not just for my... I want to make this religion, this walk with Jesus Christ for me, not just for my parents. Take a moment and pray here. There's coming a day when each and every one of us is going to bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray you'll do it now pray you'll do it now instead of waiting. There's some young people at the altar here. Adults, will you pray for them, please? And young folks, if you're still sitting, if you haven't decided yet, I'll tell you, some of these older folks in here, they are saying, you know what they're saying in their heart? They're saying, oh, God, if I could go back to their age, I would do it differently. All those things that I had done for myself, I would would throw that away and I would do everything for Jesus Christ. Oh, if I could go back, man, if I could just go back to being 15, to being 20, to being 25 years old and and bow the knee to Jesus Christ then, how much junk I would have saved. How my life would be different. How many people Jesus Christ could have touched through my life instead of all the people that just wanted to serve me instead. And I'll ask the older folks to pray for these young people in here. Pray for the folks that are younger, that are at a pivotal point in their life. Pray that God will get a hold of their heart now while they're young.